Welcome to Living in the Light with Bible teacher Anne Graham Lotz. When the Holy Spirit comes into you, you have all of the Holy Spirit. All of the Holy Spirit you'll ever get. Some people will try to tell you you get him in pieces. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit comes into you, you have the complete person of the Holy Spirit living within you. We're glad you've joined us for today's edition of Living in the Light with Anne Graham Lotz. Anne has part two of a message from her series on the Holy Spirit from John chapter 14. Anne has taught that the third person of the Trinity is Christ in us, the Comforter and the Spirit of Truth. Today our teacher will look more closely at four main purposes of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let's join Anne now. The Holy Spirit's presence came historically at Pentecost, but he comes personally to you at your salvation when you deliberately by faith Invite him to come from outside you to come live within you. And verse 16 says when you do that, it's permanent. The Holy Spirit will come to live within you forever. And I'm going to challenge you, if you're not sure that the Holy Spirit lives within you, then I would suggest that you make sure by inviting him to come into your life. And you say, Anne, I have done that so many times. Every time the pastor gives a, a sermon and he gives an altar call, I go forward. And every time somebody gives an invitation in my heart, I'm going through those points. And, oh, I've been born again and saved so many times, and I've prayed that prayer so many times. I want to suggest to you, you may not yet be born again because you haven't done it even one time by faith. You see, faith says, Jesus, I invite you come into my life in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, faith says, I believe you have come in. So I thank you for doing what I've asked. And faith doesn't keep asking. You keep asking, it implies that you didn't believe you did it. Invite Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit to come live within you and believe that he's come in. Take it by faith. Write the date down in your Bible so that you are sure the Holy Spirit who has been outside of you has come to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit's presence came historically at Pentecost personally at your salvation when you invite him to come live within you. And why does he come in? What's his purpose? He has many purposes and I've tried to boil them down into four things. It just sort of summarizes ministry in your life. The first purpose of the Holy Spirit, and these are not in order necessarily, but he comes to equip us. And Ephesians will tell you that the Holy Spirit comes to equip you to build up the body of Christ. You build up the body of Christ by bringing other people into it and by strengthening the faith of the people who are already there. So we're thinking primarily of service at this point and perhaps serving in your church or in your home. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 and 7 says that every person who has received the Holy Spirit has been given certain spiritual gifts. And sometimes we are so enamored or so preoccupied with that gift of tongues and we want so much to know what that is and that seems to be the supernatural gift that everybody talks about in a hush-hush tone. We miss the other gifts on the list. There are many gifts on that list. And you have been given one, at least one, by the Holy Spirit. I remember telling a Bible teacher to her face, that when it came to me, I was the exception to the rule. That I had no spiritual gifts. Somehow God had overlooked me in the process of giving out the gifts. And she looked right back at me and she said, And there are no exceptions. <laughs> you feel you're accept the exception to the rule? That the Holy Spirit has gifted everybody else, but somehow not you? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has gifted every single person who has received Him by faith. Your responsibility is to find out what your gifts are. And by the way, don't go fighting with somebody over their gifts. Gifts are not toys to play with. They're not weapons to fight with. They are tools to use to build up the body of Christ. And 
1 Corinthians 12 also says that it's the Holy Spirit's sovereign choice as to which gift he gives you. So you can ask him for certain gifts, but if you somehow don't have the gift that you wish that you had and you compare yourself with somebody else and say, I want their gift and not mine, the Holy Spirit knows your personality and the way you are made up and he has given you a gift that's perfectly suited to, to your particular person. And you need to find out what yours is. How do you find your spiritual gift? I'll give you three ways real quickly. One is to try them all. <laughs> Ones that you do and get worse at, you can check those. <laughs> That's not your spiritual gift. The ones that you do and seem to, to do okay at, you're gaining some experience that may not be your spiritual gift. The ones that you do and seem to get better at and better at, that may be your spiritual gift. That's one way to find them. Another way to find your spiritual gift is to ask your husband what he thinks it is. Or ask your pastor or your best friend. And ask them what they think is your spiritual gift. I'll tell you the way I found my spiritual gift. And this is the third way. Just be obedient to whatever the Lord tells you to do. I have discovered by experience many times over, He will never call you to do something for which He does not equip you. If He has called you to do something, the equipment will be there. And as you obey Him and you seek to follow Him and serve Him, listening for His voice, not doing something He hasn't called you to, but, but that which He has called you to, you're going to find the gifts necessary to be obedient and to fulfill what He's asked you to do. So I think one of the best ways is just, if he's asking you to teach Sunday school and you've never taught before, do it. And either you'll gain some experience, or maybe you'll discover your spiritual gift of teaching. If he's called you to keep the nursery, or to help in the kitchen, or to help plan something, or to be on some committee, you go ahead and follow the Spirit's leading, and you're going to discover where there's a call, there's a gift. And he will equip you for it. And by the way, those gifts can come in wonderful combinations. So nobody's gift is completely like somebody else's because there are so many fascinating different combinations of gifts that each one, each person's gift comes out in a very unique way. So we don't have time to get into the gifts. But the Holy Spirit's purpose is to equip you, secondly, to enlighten you. And he enlightens us primarily about two things. The first is about Jesus. And in John chapter 14, verse 19, it says, Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. The world wouldn't see him because he was going to go back to heaven. And even today, in our world, the world cannot see Jesus. Isn't that true? They think of him as a man. They think of him as perhaps a good man. In fact, that movie, The Last Temptation of Christ, doesn't even see him as a good man. They see him perhaps as a prophet. They see him as a great teacher. But they do not see him the way you and I see him. And when the Holy Spirit comes into you, you see Jesus in a way that the world can't see him. You see him as your Savior. You see him as your Lord. You see him as your bridegroom. You see him as the one who is God, who has come to earth as flesh. And you see him as the lamb who died on the cross to take away your sin. And, and you see him as king. And you see him as the one who is ready to return. You and I see him in a way that the world can't. And we can see him in the way the world can't because the Holy Spirit has enlightened our eyes. And we can see Jesus. And I'm not talking about any kind of vision. I'm talking about seeing him with the eyes of faith. And, of course, the Holy Spirit will open up the Scriptures because it's in God's Word that we see Jesus and we see Him revealed. And the Holy Spirit will make God's Word relevant and meaningful, not so that we can pile up information, but that we might see Jesus and come to know Him as He is. And secondly, He enlightens us not only about Jesus, He enlightens us about ourselves. In chapter 16, verse 8, it says, When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict you of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit enlightens you and me about ourselves because we think we're okay, right? <laughs> you compare yourself to your neighbor or that other person in church and you think, well, I'm better than she is and I must be all right. And, and we live sort of in a state of comparison. Or maybe you 
you see yourself next to your neighbor and you think, well, I'm not okay and I'm not as good as that person. And so you put yourself down. The Holy Spirit comes in and he reveals to ourselves and he can convict us of sin. Somebody said he's the most uncomfortable comforter they know. <laughs> can turn you every which way but loose. And you know when he starts to convict you on something? That's all you ever hear, right? All you ever read? You know when he's convicting you on something. He also can build you up. And you keep putting yourself down and the Holy Spirit has the dearest way of revealing yourself to yourself and letting you know that you're not this bad person that Satan would keep saying that you are and you're not someone to put yourself down, that you're a person of great worth, someone for whom Christ died. And the Holy Spirit can, can build you up in, in the sweetest way. But he is there to enlighten us about Jesus and about ourselves. Thirdly, he is there to enrich us. And Ephesians 1.14 says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. When my husband asked me to marry him and I agreed, he gave me this engagement ring. And when he gave me this engagement ring, I thought it was just gorgeous. In fact, I remember that night, all night long, just staring at it, just glowed in the dark. I was so excited to have this ring, not just because it's beautiful to me, but because it also represented the fact that my husband was going to marry me. It, it symbolized his promise that he asked me to marry him. I said I would, and he said, Anne, all right, six months from now we're going to be married and I'll be your husband and you'll be my wife. The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring to you and me. And he gives them to you at your salvation, but Ephesians says that's just the beginning. He is God himself. Surely one of the most precious gifts, one of the most valuable gifts that God has in all of the universe, and he gives them to you as your down payment of what's to come. If he gives you the Holy Spirit, there's nothing he will withhold from you. And so the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring, just promising us all that the Father has in store for us. He enriches us. In fact, chapter 14 of John, verse 19, says, Because I live, you also will live. And Jesus wasn't just talking about physical life. He was talking about eternal life, abundant life. Not just going to heaven when you die, but living now in fullness, with zest and joy and with an added dimension to your life. It, life just takes on meaning. The Holy Spirit enriches your life. And then fourthly, the Holy Spirit has come to empower us. And he empowers us in two ways. First of all, he empowers us through his indwelling of us. And we've already spoken briefly of that. When you receive Christ by faith, it's your salvation. The Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into you at that point and you are indwelt with him. And when the Holy Spirit comes into you, you have all of the Holy Spirit. All of the Holy Spirit you'll ever get. Some people will try to tell you you get him in pieces. <laughs> You get some of them at salvation and then you go through a second experience and you get more of them and then you maybe have a third experience and you get more of them and that's not true. The Holy Spirit is a person. You cannot get a piece of a person. When the Holy Spirit comes into you, you have all of the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to have. You have the complete person of the Holy Spirit living within you. In Luke, the story is recorded of the conception of Jesus and the angel came to Mary and said that she was going to have a child. And she said, how can I when I've not had sexual relations with a man? And, and the angel said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the holy thing that is born in you will be called the Son of God. And in the same way that Mary conceived physically the life of Christ, you and I conceive spiritually the life of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes into us. And we have born within us the life of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit living in us. And it's the person of Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit. So that from now on, after my salvation, I have two people inside. I have myself, and I have the Holy Spirit. 
He's come to indwell me in all of His fullness. And it's through His indwelling certainly that I have power. Romans says that it's the Holy Spirit indwelling me that gives me the power to be set free from my sin and the habits of sin. But secondly, He empowers me. In fact, we have His power when we're indwelt, but we begin to experience His power when we're infilled. When He comes into you, He indwells you, and you have all of Him you'll ever have, but when He infills you, He has all of you. Okay, and that's the difference. For some reason, when we invite the Holy Spirit to come in, we seem to give Him ourselves in pieces. You know, we don't give him in, get Him in pieces, but we seem to give ourselves the Him in pieces, don't we? We invite Him to come into our lives, and we say, Holy Spirit or Jesus, come into our lives, and He comes in, and then He begins to look around, <laughs> and we're aware that He's looking, and, and we go to turn on the television set, and, and there's an awareness that He doesn't like that program, and we say, well, Holy Spirit, don't bother me, I'm relaxing. This is the way I relax in the evening, watching this TV program, and, and then we go out on Saturday night, and we have that feeling He doesn't like what we're doing Saturday night, and, and Holy Spirit, don't bother me, this is the way I entertain myself, and... And then we go out with those old friends and we have the feeling he doesn't like the conversation at the table and we say, Holy Spirit, never mind, I'll talk nice on Sunday morning and, and some other time, but right now I just want to enjoy this conversation and all of this gossip. And, and you see what we're doing? We give him ourselves in pieces. You can have me on Sunday morning, you can have me in my quiet time, you can have me in this relationship, but I don't want you to bother me over here and over here. And, and what we have done is quench him. And what we have done is restrict his flow in our lives. So when we talk about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and by the way, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a command. And commands are obeyable, so there must be some response on your part, and the response is surrender. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means that you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's a moment-by-moment -moment filling in response to a moment-by-moment -moment surrender. And the Holy Spirit fills you when you surrender every area of your life to Him. And then as you grow in your Christian life, you'll discover new areas to surrender and, and you'll have new opportunities and, and he continues to fill your life as you continue to surrender your life to him. I wonder how completely the Holy Spirit has fulfilled his purpose in your life. You know the Holy Spirit in his purpose of enlightening you? I wonder if you know Jesus better today than you did when you were converted. What about yourself? You're coming to know yourself better? And what about your equipment? What is your spiritual gift? And God holds you responsible to discover it and to use it. And you can't stand before Him one day and say, I'm sorry I didn't use it because I never did find out what it was. He holds you responsible to find out what it is so that you might use it for Him. And what about enrichment? You live a rich, full, abundant Christian life. And then the empowering. How much power is there in your Christian life? As you serve the Lord within your church, within your family, do you see that your service makes impact on other people? Is there fruit being born or lives being changed? Maybe not, which is why we're here, to find out how we can be filled up to overflow. I want to just touch briefly on the proof of the Holy Spirit in your life, because certainly if the Holy Spirit lives in you, he ought to be sticking out somewhere, right? <laughs> so we ought to be seeing something of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. There ought to be some proof, and I think it's twofold. First of all, if the Holy Spirit is living in your life, there ought to be the proof of your faithfulness to Jesus. And in verses 21 to 24, it says that if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you will love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you will be obedient to his word. 
Do you see one proof of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is your faithfulness to love Jesus in the way that he wants to be loved, which is through obedience. And if you love him, and if you're being obedient to him, then you've got to be in his word. How much time do you spend in God's word? One proof of the Holy Spirit that I ought to be able to see in your life is that you spend time in your Bible. That you spend time in your Bible not just to get the information and the knowledge, but that you spend time in your Bible so that you might know what Jesus is saying, that you might be obedient, that you might express your love to him. Do you love Jesus? How do you show it? One proof of the Holy Spirit living in you is your faithfulness to consistently, every day, love Jesus by spending time in his word that you might every day be obedient to what his word has to say. How much proof is there in your life that somebody else could see? One of the proofs is your faithfulness, secondly, your fruitfulness. Verses 25 to 31 describe different aspects of the fruit. There should be fruitfulness in yourself. Verses 21 to 24 talks about love. When the Holy Spirit comes into you, there ought to be that fruit of love, a new love for God, and a new awareness of God's love for you. Romans 5 says it's the Holy Spirit who makes you aware or gives you the feeling that God loves you and you love God. Not only that you love God and He loves you, but you love other people you can't even like. It's the Holy Spirit who will give you that love for them. That should be one fruit that's an evidence of His presence in your life and that you are enabled to love someone that you don't like and to love someone who's behaved nastily to you or rudely to you and, and you respond in, not in kind, but in love. And secondly, in verses 25 to 26, that the Holy Spirit will teach you these things, there should be a meekness in your life. And meekness means teachableness. It means that submission to God. And verse 27 talks about peace. And evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life should be peace. And you realize this was Thursday night, late at night. In fact, at the end of this chapter, Jesus says, let's leave. And he leaves from the upper room. This is just a few hours before he's going to be betrayed. Just a few hours before he's going to go through six trials. Just a few hours before he's going to be tortured and brutally beaten and nailed to a cross and hung there to die. And he has peace. And if peace had to do with circumstances in your life, he wouldn't have had any peace to give us, would he? Peace doesn't have to do with circumstances. Somebody has defined this kind of peace as the tranquility of order. Knowing that God has ordered your life, that he is in control, that you are living in his will, and you have peace. You know when a hurricane sweeps across an ocean, it can whip the waves up to 30 or 40 feet high, more than that, but at the very bottom of the ocean, at that very same point, it's absolutely still. There's peace. And the storms can come across the surface of your life and, and whip up all sorts of things. But deep in your heart, there is a peace. And you know God's in control. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's a peace that the world knows nothing about. And then in verse 28, it says, You'll be glad. I'm going away, but I'm going to come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And you'll be glad because it gives you joy. A joy that's in your relationship with Christ through the Holy Spirit, not in your bank account or in what people think of you, but just a joy in Him. And then verse 29, I've told you now before it happens so that when it does, you will believe. And He's saying when it does, when the Holy Spirit comes into you, you will believe the Holy Spirit will produce that faith in you. 
And faith is a choice at salvation, but then He increases and strengthens your faith as you grow in Him. Then in verses 30 to 31, there should be a holiness and a purity in your life. Jesus said that Satan is going to come and tempt him, or he says, I'll I'll not speak with you much longer. The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. What, What exactly did Jesus mean? You see that Jesus had no sin in his life, so that when Satan came, he had no toehold with which to get into the life of Christ. Let me illustrate it from the Old Testament. When when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and before they went into the promised land, God told them through Moses when they went into Canaan to drive out every single inhabitant, that if they did not drive out every single inhabitant, then those inhabitants would rise up one day, align themselves with Israel's enemy, and defeat Israel. And Israel didn't drive out every enemy, and you know the history of Israel and that she was defeated again and again by those enemies who rose up from within her. And in the same way, when we receive Christ, we are to drive out every sin in our lives, and if we don't, the sin in our lives will rise up and align itself with our enemy who is Satan, and he will defeat us. And Jesus is saying that Satan came to him and had nothing with which to align himself. There was no sin in Jesus. Absolute holiness and purity. And as the Holy Spirit comes into your life, when evidence that he's there should be an increasing holiness, purity, a desire and a power to drive the sin from your life, that Satan would have no toehold there. How much proof is there of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is there fruitfulness that other people can see? Fruitfulness and faithfulness in yourself? And a fruitfulness and a faithfulness in your service. Christian service falls under two categories primarily. One is sharing Christ that you might bring people to faith. And secondly, strengthening Christians who have already come to that faith. In what way are you serving the Lord? And as you serve Him, sharing Christ and strengthening Christians, what evidence of fruit is there? If the Holy Spirit is filling your life, Your service, as you share Christ and you strengthen Christians, is going to be fruitful. You're going to make an impact on other people. That we might come to know God's Word, that we might be able to fill up ourselves from it, that we might be able to give it out to others. That we might be filled to overflowing, and it starts as you examine your own relationship with this wonderful person whom we call the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge you to examine your relationship with Him Do you know him as a person? Do you know his presence in your life? Does he live in you or is he just simply with you? And how well has he fulfilled his purpose in you because you have cooperated with that? And is there the proof that other people can see? Is Jesus sticking out all over you? And if he is not, why not? And would you pinpoint that and ask the Holy Spirit to pinpoint for you that which blocks his filling in your life so that you can deal with it and confess it and and surrender your life to him that you might be filled up so that you can overflow. Would you pray with me, please? Father, you've given us the promise that you would bring back to our remembrance that which has been spoken, that this message from John chapter 14, that your word itself would go into our hearts and then come back to our minds that we might remember that which has been said to us by you, that we might know the Holy Spirit in a new way, in a fresh way, in a very personal way, that we might choose to get to know him, 
surrendering our lives to him, living under his lordship, that we might not be average, mediocre Christians, but Christians that are filled, Christians that overflow, Christians that make a difference. So we thank you for this time together. And Lord, I just ask that whatever it is, whatever you have wanted to get across to us, that you would just feel that in our hearts until we can get alone with you and just talk with you about it, that it might not be snatched away. We just commit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Living in the Light. And when you go to angramlots.org, there are free resources to help you in your study of God's Word. Anne's desire is that you embrace a God-filled life, step-by-step, choice-by-choice, living in the light. <music>